Yeah, don't mind. I'm going to stand down here. Smaller crowd. Very good. Thank you for that verbal response. I know I can always count on y'all to give verbal responses. So it's good to be with you guys today. Uh, today we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So turn there with me in your literal Bible or your virtual Bible, whatever you choose. So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This is the Pharisee and the tax collector parable. So this is the word of God. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning. And truth be told, Lord, we, we like being exalted. We don't want to be humbled. And God, we want to justify ourselves because, Lord, that's just inherent in our nature. It's just part of who we are that we want to say, I'm good because I've done good. But we ask God in Jesus' name that you would teach us this morning from this small, short parable of Jesus. Maybe a theme for us for this new year, Lord, would be that our trust would not be in our own justification of ourselves, but our justification would be in you alone, that we would trust in what you have done for us to be justified. And Lord, I pray that you would just teach us now by your spirit, speak through, Lord, this weak vessel, and may you, Lord, capture our hearts. And move us, Lord, to live differently. Move us to confession and repentance of our sin. As well as to, Lord, Lord, appropriating your grace. Walking in your grace to live as becomes followers of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever been playing a sport or doing something and somebody actually says, I did good. You ever, you ever heard that? You ever heard somebody say that? Okay, I, I see a few nods. I actually had a neighbor friend. He wasn't athletic, but every time we'd play sports in the neighborhood, I mean, it would be at the weirdest times, and he'd be like, I did good. And everybody was like, what's the deal? You know? I mean, why is that so strange for us if somebody says that? Because when you're playing on a sports team, you're just kind of expected to do good, right? And and be a part of the team and contribute. But see, this guy had his own standard of performance. He felt justified in how he was playing 
And so he would announce to everybody, I did good. Because he wanted some praise. He wanted affirmation of that. And the crazy part was, we'd all be kind of scratching our heads going, that wasn't that good. So his standard performance, upon which he was justifying himself as a badminton player or volleyball player or basketball player, was not meeting our standard. But it was in his mind. So, when measured against the true standard of performance, is is our own standard of performance what justifies us? It's not. Think about this year. As we think about a new year and we look back to an, a previous year, you know, our temptation might be to say what? I did good. I did good this year. It's been a good year in these ways. And And we can go into the new year with a mindset of, having our own standard performance. And I want us to just turn our attention to this parable because at the heart of it, if we have our own standard of performance, we're not unlike the Pharisees who Jesus often came up against and and said, hey, guys, whoa, you know, your standard of performance is lacking In, in terms of God's standard. It doesn't measure up. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So these Pharisees had their own standard of performance. I don't know why they would do it when you had the moral law of God, which is already intimidating, but they added 650 laws, right? And so these guys were law fighters. They were law keepers, rule keepers. And they measured themselves against this very standard that they created. And so Jesus actually was addressing them in this. But I want us to listen. Because in his words to the Pharisees, there's a word to us as well. Right? There's a word to us. And so Jesus, he wasn't affirming or condoning or encouraging the Pharisees' own standard of performance. He's actually demonstrating there's something better. There's something different. And this is what we need to do. And and we also need to see how we're tempted to do just like the Pharisees and be just like the Pharisees and having our own standard that's not God's standard. So Jesus turned the religion of the Pharisees on it, on their head by teaching in parables. Parables, you know, one definition online said these are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. That's a great, that's a great definition, right? But Jesus used parables to teach something, right? This was famous among the rabbis is they taught in parables there was some kind of a, a, a spiritual meaning that was, or spiritual truth that was communicated uh, that in a way that was relatable to life. Talking about farming or, or talking whatever the listener could understand that was relatable to their life. And so Jesus spoke this way. And it's interesting, his disciples actually said to him in Matthew 13, 10, why do you speak to them in parables? And I want, I want us to hear this because I think this is huge for us. He, he said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. In verse 13 he goes on to say, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, parables were ultimately an instrument of Jesus to either talk about judgment or mercy. This is fascinating. Judgment or mercy. So in his parable... 
what he's doing is he's calling out, this is a wrong view, and it's worthy of judgment because it doesn't measure God's standard, according to God's standard. And he's also saying, there's mercy, though. And this is God's standard. And this is what God expects. So just hold that in your thought as you think about this. In our passage this morning, Jesus is teaching a parable specifically to these religious people to teach them to consider where they put their trust for their righteousness. Why is that so important? Because we want to feel like we're good. We're just. We're righteous. We're okay with God and the world. That's what we desire. We, we, we long for that. But these guys needed to hear this message. These Pharisees needed to hear this message because they thought they were righteous. And they held others in contempt. Basically saying, you're not righteous. You're a sinner. And so, as we look this morning, we're going to look at this parable and kind of talk about a little bit about what Jesus is showing in how he lays it out. And then we're going to see two lessons that Jesus wants us to take away from this passage. Okay? So let's dive in. This parable, Jesus actually sets the stage by saying, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now remember, he's talking to Pharisees mostly. And so can you imagine what their faces were like when he said, two guys went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. What would be so crazy about that? Well, back in their day, the Pharisees, they had it all going on. They all had this great relationship with God. At least that's what the people thought. And they had it together. And then you have a tax collector. Okay, a Pharisee and a tax collector don't usually go up to the temple to pray. It's usually just the Pharisee. Tax collectors were considered the worst of the worst of sinners. Why? Because they didn't work for God. They worked for Caesar. They worked for the government. And they were all about taxing the people as well as taking money a little bit over at the top, skimming the top, bribing people, doing extortion, you know, committing extortion to rob people. These people were robbers. These tax collectors. So Jesus already has people going, what? What's going on? You can't say that in the same sentence. Two guys went up to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Oh, yes, he did. Jesus is so good at hyperbole, which means slapping us with something crazy and exaggerative, right? Something that makes you go, what? You can't do that. Yes, you can. Because Jesus wants to show the contrast here. He wants to show a a poignant contrast. So the tax collector was wealthy and worldly. Not typical to see in the pews of the synagogue or the temple. And Jesus then first describes the Pharisees' prayer. Listen to this guy pray. We just read it, but he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this guy right here, this tax collector. I mean, most of us are going, wow, what a prayer. What, what a, what a, what a guy, you know, that he's praying like this. Well, folks, he's devout. He's coming to the temple to pray, right? He's addressing God in prayer. He's thankful, right? He's grateful. And, and he's, you know, he's thankful that he is who he is. And he's, you know, he thinks that that's because he's doing right. 
He's kept himself from extortion. He's been fair in his dealings with others. He believes. He's been faithful to his wife. He's, he's thankful that he's not like other men. And then he prays he's, that he, he's thankful that he's not like this tax collector. He's not done work for Caesar. He's working for God. He's doing God's work. I mean, you hear this, right? You know, we gotta give him a little bit of credit because there's something in there that's saying, I think I'm doing the right stuff here. You know, he's really confident of that. He really thinks he's kept himself faithful to God and to God's people. And he goes on to speak about his practical obedience. I fast, I tithe. I'm doing good. I'm doing right. I mean, practically speaking, I'm living it out, what I believe. And so some would say in his day, what a guy. What a squeaky clean fella. What a, what a model citizen. That's who we need to be like. And that's what the people actually thought. They actually thought that this guy had it together. Well, it's interesting as we look a little bit closer. He addresses God, but we would say his confidence or his trust was not in God. His confidence and his trust was in himself. It's a false confidence, wasn't it? A false confidence that he himself is good. He wasn't really praying to God. He wasn't really going to God in trust and in faith. He's going to God to tell God how good he is. And that he's met the standard. Wow. When you think about it, it's pretty brazen. Pretty brash, right? Pretty bold that he would be doing this. But he's showing trust in himself. His confidence is more like arrogance as he's clearly not speaking of his own sin nor the good that he's failed to do. His false confidence has led him even to a deeper place of a false what? A false comparison. Where he's looking at this tax collector who he doesn't know probably except by his clothing that he was a tax collector. Because back then I think the tax collectors wore particular clothing that people would say, oh, there's a tax collector. They just kind of looked... You know, like tax collectors. I don't know what that looks like, so don't ask me. But he he compares himself, though, to this tax collector that he has no idea. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. How do you know this tax collector from anybody? So there's a false confidence that leads to this false comparison. And so it just leads him down these bad roads, right? And And so... His standard of righteousness is not to look at God and see himself as falling short of God's glory in any way, but rather to look at others and see their sins and presuppose their sins because of by what they're wearing and, and, and whatnot and, and compare them to his own goodness. You ever done that? I can't tell you how many people I talk to in Scottsboro where I'm planning a church and people will say, you know, I, I'm good. I'm a good person. And what is it that people like to say? I'm not like... Who do they like to say? The the other guy? Okay. What I hear often is, I'm not like Hitler. And I'm thinking, that's your standard? Wow. That's a low bar, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. But folks, we do this. We do this. I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that horrible person. 
Well, yeah, when that's your standard, you're pretty good, yeah. But when your standard is God and His holiness and righteousness, you know, you fall, sorry about that. We fall short. We fall short of His glory. We're a mess. We're broken. So, so this guy, he, he, he goes back to demonstrating where his confidence lies as he talks about fasting and giving of tithes. He is confident that his outward acts of religion actually help his cause to affirm that he's met the standard of his own righteousness. So this guy is trusting in, in who? Himself. He's trusting in himself and his own standard. Well, then Jesus describes this tax collector's prayer. And what a, what a prayer this is, guys. Seriously, this is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. It's a great prayer. He first describes this, this tax collector as standing far off. This guy isn't up close, front row Pharisee in the temple. This guy's way off, right? Because because what, what would happen if he's up here in the front where everybody can see him? I ain't sitting with that guy. He's a jerk. He's a tax collector. But this guy, he doesn't care about position. He's way in the back. I don't want to be seen, man. And what does he do? He's back there and he's praying like this. He is saying, he's got his, he's got his face down, right? He's not looking up to heaven. Pharisees looking up to heaven. He's looking to the ground. He's humble. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. Why is that an amazing prayer? Why is that an amazing prayer? He's, he's not just saying this, actually. The, the scripture says he's beating his chest as he says it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think with every pounding of his chest, he's thinking about how he has wronged people. How he has failed to be righteous in his dealings. How he has extorted people out of money and bribed people and stolen off the top of the money he collected for Caesar and the taxes. This guy is broken. What is he confident of? Two things. That God is a God of mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. If he had this confidence that God alone is mercy, merciful, and he's pleading to that God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What he's saying is, God, I have every confidence that you are one who doesn't give sinners at times what they do deserve. And I'm one of them. Some translations actually say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. What does that sound like? That sounds like Paul, doesn't it? Where he said, I am the chief of sinners. So this guy's confidence is in a God of mercy. And he's saying, God, the only thing I have when I come to you is knowing that you have been merciful in the past to sinners. And I'm praying that you'll be merciful now. Because I am the sinner. I'm the biggest sinner I know. And that's the other confidence that he has. Is that he is a broken mess. He is a lawbreaker. 
He has offended our holy God. And he is in a bad place if, if it weren't for God. Right? So whose standard of righteousness is the tax collector holding to? He's not looking to himself as the standard, is he? He's looking to a God who is holy and merciful. And he's judging himself based upon what he knows. And, and he realizes, apart from you and your mercy, God, I have failed. And I fail. And so this, this passage is giving us these extremes that we would see what's, I think, our own heart's default in our flesh to justify ourselves, but under grace, how we see ourselves. The tax collector shows us this is what the Lord Jesus wants for his people, to see themselves as in need of God and to trust in God and his character because it is only him and him alone who could save us. So here are the lessons of the parable. Jesus goes on to share the meaning of the parable in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Speaking about the tax collector. Okay, so this was altogether shocking news to the audience. This probably made the Pharisees livid. They probably were hot when they heard this. So, but because once again, for them, that their righteousness was because of what they did, they're thinking, what has that guy done? You know? But once again, they're measuring themselves on their basis of what righteousness is, and it's not God's measure, God's standard. So the first lesson that I want us to see here is that our actions are the wrong place to put our trust in for righteousness. Our actions. And I know that this is a struggle for us Christians. I, I've heard too many Christians say, man, when I feel, when I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. Well, how's that working out for you? It's a roller coaster, isn't it? You feel like you got spiritual bipolar disorder. You're manic and delusional on one extreme. Yeah, woo, I'm doing great. I'm righteous. I'm, I'm doing this thing called the Christian life. And then you sin. And it all falls apart. And so we get into what's called a moralism. And that's what's being proclaimed in a lot of our pulpits. You do these things and don't do these things and you'll be a good Christian. But if you do, don't do these things and you do these, you're a bad Christian. Folks, do you ever see good Christian and bad Christian in the scriptures? Nope. Nope. We don't see that. Our actions are the wrong place to put our trust in for righteousness. The Pharisees thinking to himself, he went down and this tax collector went down and was justified? How is that? How is that? What did he do? You, you remember hearing the rich young ruler, which is just a few verses after this? What must I do to obtain eternal life? Stop thinking it's about what you do. We want to do that, don't we? We want to contribute. We want to justify ourselves by what we do. But it's not that way. 
If it were, it it wouldn't be of grace. But it's about grace. It's about His standard. And the only way we can live is by, by really looking at the fact that Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, it's got to be a righteousness beyond human activity. Praise God that it isn't. Because guess what? None of us would make it. So Jesus talks about this righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. What's wrong with human action? It's wrapped up in our human nature. We can't separate our actions from our nature, can we? And what's in our nature? Man, and that sin is corruption. Mind, will, and emotions or affections and desires. Everything we do is touched with sin. So think about that for a minute. If I do all the right things, what's wrong with thinking that I'm suddenly right or righteous? Sin has still been there. And everything I've done, I'm doing as a sinner. And and corrupted by sin. Hello? My, my, that's where Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6, your righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And filthy rags, just to be honest and clear, menstrual cloths. Yuck. Your righteousness to God is yuck to, to, to God. He's saying, no, that's not what I want for you. It's not what I have for you. Rather, our sinfulness affects and pollutes what we think, choose, and desire. As a result, our righteousness, our best righteous actions are filthy rags. So this leads Paul to say in Romans 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. Hello, level playing field here now, right? Man, it's level ground at the foot of the cross. Praise Jesus that there is a cross. And I'll get to that in a minute. He says, for for by the works of the law, Romans 3.20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What did God give the Ten Commandments for? Did he give those Ten Commandments to say, go justify yourselves? No. He gave the law to help us go, God, I can't get past one. I make idols of, of myself and everything you've given me. I can't get past the first command. I'm a mess. And God says, yes, you got it now. But what did the Pharisees do? Oh man, I'm going to keep all these things. I'm going to add to it, God, because that wasn't enough. And see, God, I'm doing good. But see, you're not seeing your hearts. That was the beauty of Jesus expounding on the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. Was to say, It's not about what's out here. It's about what's in here. What's in here, it's what's in your mind and what's in your heart. If there's sin in there, it doesn't matter what you're doing because you're sick. In fact, you're dead in your sins. We're dead to God spiritually. We can't please God in those dead, in that dead nature. God has to bring us to life. We need eternal life. All right. 
Boy, I'm getting so excited. I, I get off track here. But see, through the law, we see how we don't keep God's law. We don't do what he's told us to do. And we break God's law by doing what he's told us not to do. We're shown to be sinners by the, in the law by our commission and omission, right? We're sinners by commission and omission. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, nope, your system is broken. And it actually leaves you condemned all the more because you're making the law your basis of your justification and your righteousness. <clears throat> your trust is not in me anymore. It's in doing these things. You're not human doings. You're human beings. Hold on to that one. That's a good one to chew on. So what it does justify us before God, if not our actions? This brings us to our second lesson. The second lesson is our God is the right and only place to put our trust in for righteousness. Jesus is showing us there's something about the tax collector that was evidence of his justification. What was it? Well, we know it's not action. So what do, what is it? It's his trust, not in himself but in his God. To trust in his God. That, I mean, we see this guy not thinking much of himself. He's honest about his being a sinner. His faith and trust were in a God who hears sinners and shows them mercy. And who is abundant in mercy. Lamentations 3 that we read earlier. He, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. What would the Pharisees say? Great is my faithfulness. But who are we to be focused on? God. His faithfulness. Paul goes from talking about how no human being will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law to say this, but now. One of the great conjunctions, right? But now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Woo! Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Not because of anything we've done, nor could ever do. We're justified by His grace as a gift. It's a work of God for sinners. It's through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ to be received by faith. And so it's not about even, hey, I believed. Woo! I did something else, right? Our faith is not something we do. Our faith is a response to what He's done. Faith is not the basis of our justification. It's evidence of it. It's a fruit of it. Don't read the, into this passage that, well, if I just believe... And, and I do this, then I'll be justified. Don't make it about what you do. Make it about who it's for. And about who it is who's the object of your faith. Does that make sense? So once again, it is the work of God, not man, that we're justified. It's a work of grace, not of works, that we're justified. It's that we, it is this that we need to receive in faith. We're to trust in God and His redeeming work in Christ to save us. It's the only way we have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Is trusting in God and His righteousness. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
Now we know why he said that. It wasn't just, let me just say this so you have it. It's so fitting. You seek God and him first. And seek his righteousness. Because we don't have it in and of ourselves. Theologians call it an alien righteousness. We need an alien righteousness. One that's not here. It's not here. That's why Jesus came and became our Emmanuel. That's why he came at Christmas. That we could be justified before the Father. Because only he is the one who is just as the justifier of the ungodly. As Paul says in Romans 3.26. Paul says that. He did all this to show his righteousness at the present time so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that. God is, he's he's just showcasing his righteousness by manifesting manifesting it in Jesus and in the gospel and this redemption that is through his blood that we're to trust in. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So faith is never the means of justification, but it's the evidence of God's grace of justification working within us. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, uh, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Interesting, isn't it? Once again, the way of the world and the way of the flesh is, man, I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going to make a name for myself. Wasn't that the same? What's true of the Tower of Babel builders? Why did they do it? We're going to make a name for ourselves. And what did God tell Abraham when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees? I'm going to make your name great. If you follow me, you humble yourself and follow me. There's a contrast. Jesus is setting that up. Will we go into the new year humbling ourselves and saying, God, you exalt me if you, if you please. Lift me up to enjoy the benefits of your grace. Help me to, to not exalt myself and what I do, but to exalt Jesus and what he's done on behalf of the sinners. Remember, James tells us, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud. Well, what does he do for the humble? Gives grace. You hear that? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself as you come before the Lord. <clears throat> I'm going to... I had a little story about a guy in Scottsboro. I'll tell it really quick. When I first came to Scottsboro, I met this fella. He said, you know, he found out I was a minister, come to, come to plant a church. And he said, okay, I got to tell you something. I, I'm struggling in church. And I'm like, well, okay, what's, what's going on? He said, I'm struggling because I, I go to church and I know all these people. I know their sins. I know what they're doing through the week. And it gets on my nerves that I know everybody's sins. And, and I'm not happy being in church because I'm with all these people that are sin, sinners. Is there something wrong with me? And I'm like, Lord... I just met this guy. I want to be his friend, and but I'm about to give him some truth, and he's not going to like it. But I said, brother, you know what you are? And I'm like this too in my heart. I'm, uh, you're self-righteous. 
You go to church and you look at other people. Why are you there? Why are you there, brother? What's your trust? In your own measure of, of performance? Your own standard of justification and righteousness? Where's your trust, brother? And look to His righteousness. Because that's where your trust is. You looking to the left and right at the people sitting around you? Yeah, that'll, that'll discourage you quick. But we come to worship because we're, we, we believe there's something better than what's inside of ourselves. There's one who made us, who loves us, who sent his son to be our righteousness. That's good stuff. He who knew no sin was made sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. So I told that brother, man, you need to start looking at God and to his righteousness. Because you got the wrong perspective at church, brother. But see, I think that's indicative of the culture. That many people have stopped going to church. We, we, we know tons of people that have stopped going to church because of all them hypocrites at church. Man, we hear that, right? It's like, golly, it's like a broken record. It's not about what's going on with the people. It's who is our God? And who are we because of what He has done for us? That's what's most important. So, where do you find yourselves today? Do you identify with the Pharisee? Have you been kind of living by your own measure of performance? Your own standards of performance? Justifying yourself by what you do? I hope you see that that's not going to be sufficient. That you've fallen short of the glory of God. And it's okay. It's okay to say it. It's okay to say, hey, tax collector, I'm in your company, brother. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And guess what? If you're a believer, He has been. And He will continue to be. But keep going there, like the tax collector did. Where your trust is in Him and not in yourself. Maybe this morning you don't believe in God. Maybe you don't believe in in anything that I'm talking about. Well, my prayer is for you that you'll realize the truth of what I'm saying, that you can't justify yourselves. No, No amount of good that you do will ever be enough. And that's bad news. But the good news is that what Jesus came to do in the flesh was to fulfill the law's demands for you. And you put your trust in Him. You believe in Jesus and say, apart from Jesus, I, I don't have righteousness. But Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. And you did what you, what the Word says you did. And you died and rose again. And it wasn't just for us to have salvation in heaven. It was that we could live a life knowing the righteousness of God has covered us and that we're in His eyes accepted, loved, and approved of. He doesn't look at us going, oh, there you go again, sinning. You know, there goes Amos, sinning again. That's not how God looks at you. He looks at you and sees His Son and He smiles and He says, that's my boy, that's my girl. And that's why faith in Christ and what He's accomplished for us is huge. I call us to die to this moralism 
that's so tempting. I call us away from it. Stop doing that. It's a terrible roller coaster. I don't like roller coasters very much, just to be honest. So I use that metaphor with passion. I don't like going up those hills because guess what? Coming down, man, and I don't like that feeling. I don't like it. I've never liked it. But you don't have to ride a roller coaster anymore. Say no to this reducing Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. That is not what it's about. It's about relationship by faith in one who's awesome, who's amazing, who has purchased our redemption on our behalf. And and his grace is that just that. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Let this new year be a year where you say, Jesus, it's about you. It's about you and your righteousness. What's that going to look like for your family? What's that going to look like for your work, your neighborhood? What's that going to look like here at the Village Church? I pray that God will continue to grow each of us in a greater confidence, a greater reliance upon Jesus and His righteousness and less upon what we're doing. Because you know what? Once... I think our focus is on the righteousness of Christ and we're really trusting in Him in every area, even down to my eating and down to what I'm doing with my time. If I see all that as the fact that I'm a steward, I'm a steward of of His grace in every way, I think it's going to change my family. It's going to change the community that I'm in. It's going to change lives around us because guess what? It's about Him. So let's hold high Christ and His righteousness. Let's have our trust be placed in His righteousness alone. Let me pray for us. Thank You, Father, for this passage. Thank You that You are so good to give us Your Word and so good to give us Your Spirit to teach us. There is so much that we need to know and we ask for wisdom. We ask that you would teach us where we lack wisdom and where we lack understanding and discernment. We ask that you would just convict our hearts now of what we need to see, but also, God, that in the gentlemanly way that you do it, you graciously, Lord, turn our attention to you and to right, obedient action, Lord, that's based in faith and based in true repentance. I pray that you would bring that about in the lives of these dear people today and myself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.